Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 28. We are almost to the end of this series. We're in the last chapter this morning. Acts chapter 28, verse 1. After we had reached safety, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us unusual kindness. Since it had begun to rain and it was cold outside, they kindled a fire and they welcomed all of us around it. Paul had gathered a bundle of brushwood and was putting it on the fire when a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man must be a murderer, though he's escaped from sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and he suffered no harm. They were expecting him to swell up or drop dead. But after that, they waited a long time, and they saw nothing unusual had happened to him, and they changed their minds, and they began to say that he was a God. The Word of God. You can be seated. One day, my mom stopped in the middle of the store and talked to a stranger. I don't have a lot of details about this day, I was tiny. My parents had four children in the span of five years. Mercy is right. Whoever got it, got it. So my mother's grocery cart and shopping list and mind was always overflowing. But I remember this part of that day. I remember noticing my mother's talking to a stranger. Hmm. This is long before stranger danger, friends. So my mom finished the conversation and we went on the way to do the next thing on the list and I said to my mother, well, she was a nice person. And my mom said, most people are. And we shopped. Today in our story, there are 276 soaking souls. They are crawling cargo. They've crawled off of the deck of a disintegrated ship onto the beachfront property. They are, uh, they are traumatized and disoriented. When you are traumatized and disoriented, what do you hope to see first? Whose, whose face would you be looking for? What is it you want first when you feel traumatized and disoriented? There are 276 of them in our story today. When they come to the island and to the beachfront property, this could be riskier, actually, than staying out at sea. So the sea journey here in Acts chapter 28 has gone on so long. This is just, it's a yawn by now. I'm telling you the truth. If this is a Netflix series, this scene is an entire year, right? It's gone on and on and on since chapter 21. They're simply trying to get Paul to the trial because they want to kill him, essentially, so they've survived storm and starvation. They've survived weapons pointed at them on board of the ship. Two weeks without food, they finally say, we're going to eat the grain that's on the ship. This is a cargo boat going to Italy. And they forget it. We're eating it now. So the Bible says that Paul takes some of the grain and he blesses it and he breaks it and he tells them to eat. Does that sound familiar? After they have their community meal, there's more storm and there are more waves. And, uh, and at one point, it seemed a good idea that the sailors would jump ship, so they try. Only the soldiers who are guarding the prisoners, they destroy these little ships, these little lifeboats, so the sailors are stuck. On this boat are a mixture of slaves, 
and prisoners like the Apostle Paul and regular passengers like you and I. They would have their clothes and they would have their own portion of food and they'll be huddled together on the deck in the elements trying to survive this long boat journey. The soldier guarding Paul, his name is simply Centurion. Someone gets an idea because the storm is so bad we're gonna kill all the prisoners. Let's just kill them because dead prisoners tell no tales and they don't interrupt commerce. So let's kill them rather than let them crawl to the island. The centurion guarding Paul says, that's a bad idea. Why doesn't everybody who can swim just jump over now? We're gonna aim the boat for that island. They see an island, they, they, they hit a reef instead. This is where the centurion says, everybody jump and swim. If you can't swim, hang on to a plank or a piece of the boat. See if you can float your way forward. And this, they get off of the boat and walk onto the land. And the story keeps going, by the way. Next, it's they build a fire, and there's a viper, and the people think Paul's going to drop dead, but he doesn't. And the story keeps going, and the script keeps moving. This is my first time to study this story. The Apostle Paul stayed on this island of Malta for a few months. Malta. Paul is given credit for bringing the Christian message to this group of people, this little island. See the little dot in the middle of the screen? The Malta. Tunisia on your left, Italy and Greece on your right. This is the little island where they land. Every February 10, there is something called the Feast of St. Paul to commemorate the shipwreck and the arrival of the Christian gospel to their little island. I've known nothing about this little festival. I learned a lot this last week, and I think I'm planning my next trip. <laughs> so this happens to be the smallest capital city in the European Union on the island of Malta. Every February 10, they fill the streets, confetti drops from the top shelves. There are really marching bands and costumes. It's, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a inserted inside of carnival time. They empty the relics from the church. The church is really called the Church of the Shipwreck. And all of the relics come out Take in a few seconds of this video from their tourism website, what it looks like on the Feast of St. Paul Day. Oh, let's pause. Let's pause that video. Pause this video. According to the tourism website, they find the strongest men in the city to carry the Apostle Paul statue down the center street. The strongest men you can possibly find. Can you roll the rest of the video? <laughs> it looks like it's falling. <laughs> I said a little prayer when I watched this video. These are the strongest men you can find. They're the priests, aren't they? I'm pretty sure this is not in their job description. It's huge. We're going to run a second clip. This one gives you a flavor of marching band in the street and watch all the relics that come out of the cathedral.
And then comes the Apostle Paul being carried by the strongest men in the city. And they make their processional and they go down to the bay, St. Paul's Bay, and the fireworks go off and they eat and they party like only European towns know how to do. You can book your trip already for February 2022, friends. The Feast of St. Paul on the island of Malta. The story in Acts goes and goes and goes, and most of the credit at this intersection goes to the Apostle Paul for what he has done for the people there. I would like to hold still in the scene where they come off of the boat and walk onto the island. It's a remarkable scene of survival, what the passengers have survived. They join millions of boat people through all time in all places around our globe who have suffered and survived trauma to put their feet on solid ground again. I'd like to hold still in this moment. When you're disoriented and traumatized, what do you hope for most? Man, when we were, I was thinking of Alfonso and um, Sylvia today, when our daughters were born, when our first daughter was born, there came a moment during labor where I just told everyone in the room, get out, we're not doing this anymore. Get out, where is my husband? And he, Kirby walked over to the side of my bed and I looked at his face and said, I am done, done. Get the doctor, we're making this happen. Like when you are disoriented and traumatized, that, there's one face you wanna see, right? I'm like, I am over of this. And all of a sudden the doctor came and said, what's wrong? He said, you're done, we're done. Get this baby out. Well, we find out later she's nine and a half pounds. No wonder. We didn't know. A little sunny side up, huge big forehead. When you're traumatized and disoriented, who do you hope to see? What's the first thing out of someone's mouth you long to hear? It could be worse for these shipwrecked souls. They could be safer at sea than wandering onto dry land. They wander in a space where they don't know the language and they don't share the culture. They certainly don't share the religion. But the Bible story says they reach safety, Acts 28, 1 and 2. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. They lit a fire and they put on the food. Depends on your Bible translation, the word might be natives or islanders or locals or barbarians. This is before the word barbarians is pejorative or negative or harsh. It simply means the local people came out. The locals came out and lit the fire. They showed us unusual kindness. That's the word I'm interested in this morning. It's rare in the New Testament. Unusual kindness, it's also what the Apostle Paul received from the guard guarding him on this boat trip. Acts 27 says, Julius, Paul's guard, treated him kindly. It's an unusual kind of kindness. It's a treatment they don't expect, otherwise we wouldn't have to mention it in the story. They expect harsh treatment and they get unusual kindness. And I wanna know why. <laughs> What do the locals care? Why would they be invested in the well-being of 276 soggy souls from a strange country? Why would they care? Kindness. We could use other language for this. Fondness. We could say love for humanity or benevolence. The natives the native showed them the best kind of humanity possible. 
That's what the Bible says. It's not simply the kind of kindness we do to the stranger. It's not only talking to a stranger in the supermarket. It's thicker than this, friends. Let me say five minutes more about the thickness of this because we're in the ancient Greek world and so there's a value system. People get sorted into categories. All cultures do this. And our language betrays how we value and how we sort people. In Paul's world, in ancient Greece, in Greco-Roman world, there are three categories. You're either a friend, or you're an enemy, or you're an outsider. All of these categories are based on a system of reciprocity. I do for you, you do for me. So your family, by the way, goes in the friends category. You're either a friend, you're an enemy, or you're an outsider. And if I deem you're a friend, I do for you and you will do for me. And if I deem you're an enemy, I'm responsible to give you grief. And I expect you'll give me grief back. And if you're an outsider, thanks be to God, because everyone will ignore you. These are the categories. These are the options most likely when the 276 wet people get off of the boat. They are going to be seen as friends or enemies or outsiders. We all do this kind of sorting. Maybe you remember two or three years ago, our friend Dr. Leslie Martin from the psychology department on campus, she told us that's kind of because we're cognitive misers. That was the line she used and I've never forgotten. We're cognitive misers. Our mind and our brains don't want to have to do that much work so we create shortcuts, shortcuts and we have categories for people. All cultures and societies do this. We make it easier on ourselves so we make these categories. There's no compelling reason why the passengers from Paul's ship should be treated as if they're friends. There's no compelling reason why we have to give them the best of our humanity in this moment. The beachfront property, by the way, it turns into a humanitarian zone. They feed them not one meal or two meals or four meals, they feed them for months. They feed them for months and they keep the fire going for months. In our scripture today, what I'm noticing is that gospel hospitality exists on the island before Paul arrives. You catch that? The gospel hospitality is already alive and activated before the Jesus people even get there. They're probably hoping there'll be some Jesus person on the island when they wander up on the beachfront that day. Remember a few years ago, I told you, I don't remember where we were. We were on a cruise ship somewhere in the Caribbean. I got off the ship. I went into the market, and I see in the market all kinds of, all manner of creature <laughs> to eat, and one woman selling a can of Big Franks. I'm like, I found my people. I found my people. You all can eat the goats and the pigeons and the parrots and whatever you're eating. I found my people. Right? There is no reason here for them to treat these people well. And they set up a humanitarian zone. I am noticing that gospel hospitality exists before the Jesus people even get on the scene, friends, and this is good news. The gospel is particularly alive in this space, not because the people from Malta have all the power and are mighty, but because in a shared space of vulnerability, something happens and the people eat and they stay warm, and if you notice, the Apostle Paul begins to gather firewood. He doesn't stop to preach or pass the offering plate. He's kindling the fire. Willie James Jennings says of this moment that these humans, they are stunningly gracious and supremely human. 
I would love if we could hold on to this descriptor. The people on the island are stunningly gracious and supremely human. We are all, by the way, stunningly gracious and supremely human because God created us this way. Made in the image of the creator, we are all stunningly gracious and supremely human. Like small children in the grocery store watching our parents for signals or cues, we sort through the world trying to decide which category do people belong in and will I be stunningly gracious and and, and supremely human in this moment or will I not? We are all this way. Titus 3, this is the last time our word for kindness exists in the New Testament. It turns out this kind of kindness comes from God. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generally through, generously through Jesus Christ. So we've been justified by his grace that we might become heirs and have this hope of eternal life. To be loved by God expands our capacity to love in this world, am I right? If we've been loved by God, we have capacities to love. You and I, all of us together. It's the same love of God that motivated the Apostle Paul, that motivated the islanders, whether they can name it as that, recognize it as that, would admit to it. It is the one love of God that animates the whole universe. Eventually, eventually, their curiosity about Paul led these islanders to a devotion to Jesus. Please notice the order of these things. It is the love of God that motivates me, La Sierra University Church. It is the grace of God that motivates me. Grace never leaves us where it found us. So where is the grace of God taking the La Sierra University Church these days? I've been attracted to the cover of this magazine the last, uh, this last week, Sojourners. These are a, this is a 50-year-old group, faith, faith-based group that cares about justice and faith in the life of the church. But can you see the church inside of the globe and the people on the outside? This is their cover this week for the next two months, asking questions about the post-pandemic church and what will it be and what lessons have we gathered? What lessons have we gathered because we were without our building? Early on we were asking how can we even worship when we're not together and we found out we can. In this edition, this month, there's a short reflection from a woman volunteering at a church who signed up to volunteer so she could be with people and get to know people and then pandemic came and she found herself all alone in her car driving around the neighborhoods distributing communion elements preparing for Lent 2020. And it occurred to her this was the most she had felt church in decades, meeting people on their front lawn and at their front door. What are the lessons we've learned as we come out, as we hope to come out of pandemic? How are we the church? 
And why are we the church? And why does moving back into our building matter? Because doing this for the sake of doing this, doing this because people sometimes show up, doing this because it's familiar, doing this because people give us praise or accolades, doing this because we gotta knock out one more Sabbath, we call that idolatry. I call that idolatry. So my pastor's heart is listening What can a gospel-driven Jesus people become post-pandemic? The progress of the gospel, it never waited for a group of people who sat in rooms with strategic visions and who got together monthly for planning sessions and who focused with capital campaigns. The gospel happened because the disciples got kicked out of Jerusalem. The gospel came alive when the group of disciples, someone called them professional hitchhikers around the ancient world, And that's when the spirit came alive. Every day for them was improv, church. Every day they rewrote the script. If you've felt intense amounts of displacement during pandemic, well, we have company. The entire book of Acts. If you've felt spiritual displacement, the book of Acts. It's the grace of God that motivates me. What motivates you? There is a risk, as we've been saying all summer, there's a risk in our families and there's a risk in our relationships and there's a risk with our colleagues and in our schools and in our city and in our business. There's a risk of falling back into business as usual. There's a risk of doing what we do because we at least know how to do what we used to do. But to become a little more on purpose, this is our opportunity right now, friends. To become a little more on purpose in your relationships, wouldn't that be beautiful? To become a little more on purpose in our families, wouldn't that be beautiful? To become a little more on purpose because of the gospel. It's the gospel and the spirit that drive us. And before you know it, 276 traumatized, soaking souls might land on our beachfront property, and we will do the only thing we know how to do. Our gut will tell us what to do. We're capable of doing hard things. Make hard things a practice because practice becomes habits and habits become our instinct. And before you know it, we'll know what to do. Well, of course, you light a fire and you put on the food. We're capable of doing hard things. I'm less concerned in 2021 that Christianity will permeate and pervade the culture. I'm more concerned that the kindness of Christ will saturate our lives. I'm more concerned that the kindness of Christ will saturate our lives. So if I had to turn it into a vision statement in 2021, just this little part, I would say, the post-pandemic church is stunningly gracious and supremely human. We mark our days with unusual kindness. Would you wanna be part of that community? We can turn hard things into basic practices of unusual kindness. I'm working on this. Small things. Pick something and pick a target and write it down and pray about it and ask God to help you develop a capacity to do unusual kindness in one small area of your life. I've I've been working on not being negative so that I can do this thing. Sometimes my colleagues hear me, sometimes my family hears me say, we'll be in a conversation, and I simply pause and say, I am not going to get negative right now. I am not going to be negative right now. 
I am not going to be negative right now. There are so many things to be negative about in the world right now. The church doesn't need one more negative disciple of Jesus. The world doesn't need one more disgusted disciple of Jesus. So I'm asking the Spirit to teach me new things. I have to start with, I'm not going to be negative right now. And now I'm going to try and place myself in a new position with a new opportunity. Now I'm going to ask you, God, teach me what unusual kindness looks like. At the food pantry on Wednesdays, they pray every morning before they begin distributing food for our neighborhood and clothing in our neighborhood. When I was there last month, I offered the prayer. I say, I, I say the same prayer every time I'm at the food pantry. God, thank you that the gospel is alive in our neighborhood today. We came here, we withhold judgments, we pass out food. May the people know Jesus is real, amen. I prayed that prayer last month. I said amen, I walked away, someone whispered in my ear, so you're praying for me this morning, are you? We chatted for a minute, I walked this direction, someone else said, "Uh uh-huh, how come you're praying for me this morning? Withholding my judgments. I'm not withholding my judgments. I went a little further, a few minutes later, a third person said to me, yeah, thanks for the prayer, that ruined my morning. Because I have judgments. And by the way, this is what authentic, real, honest community is about, friends, okay? I have judgments, I said, yes, but you didn't say them out loud. That's the first baby step, isn't it beautiful? (laughs) That's beautiful, you didn't say them out loud, you just gave out the food, isn't it beautiful? I have judgments too, that's why I prayed the prayer. I prayed the prayer for me. We can do difficult things that creates unusual kindness in our lives. The Spirit can do marvelous things with this commitment, church. So of all the images coming out of Afghanistan the last two weeks, we've had so many on which to focus. Of the horror and the trauma and the disorientation I chose to focus on this image from a week ago on Sabbath. By the way, so many of us sitting in our homes quarterbacking a 20-year-old war, I'm in that category. So I'm attempting to focus my energy in a more useful way. Here's a picture of a woman on a United States C-17 cargo plate who was in cargo plane in labor when she left Cabal in labor on the U.S. Air Force cargo plane, in labor when her blood pressure started to become unstable, according to a couple of news reports this week. So the pilots actually lowered the altitude of the plane to try and help with her blood pressure. And in the back of the cargo plane, in the cargo delivery bay, the mama did all the work and she was attended by a medical crew and a baby was born. Yesterday, the day before, they decided to name the baby Reach. Reach, because that is the plane's call handle over the radio. The baby is now named after this plane. I I can fill my mind with all kinds of images coming out of Afghanistan this week. Most of them make me so overwhelmed and exhausted, I'm not sure what to do next. So I just eat a burrito kind of thing. (laughs) Do you relate? I don't know what to do next, let's just have a meal and think about it and talk about it and get angry again. World doesn't need more angry disciples of Jesus. I wanna focus myself. So I'm gonna look at images of what is hopeful and positive. 
and I'm going to align myself. Practices become habits, and habits become instincts, and when you're in the moment, you'll know, well, of course we deliver the baby. That's what we do next. Well, of course we light the fire and put on the food. That's what we do next, and if we have to do it for three years, that's what we'll do because this is what the Spirit's telling us to do. It's a fresh wind blowing over the book of Acts. I'm praying for a fresh wind to blow over us, La Sierra. Humans, there are not three categories of of us. We are human siblings, all of us, in the same story with God. We can be stunningly gracious and supremely human. Years ago, I went into a hospital to visit a church member He was a retired pastor, and I was his pastor. Those are always the interesting ones to pastor. He was sick. I didn't know uh, all of his story. I knew he was important. He'd served for the Adventist church for decades. He'd served in important positions on the East Coast in the General Conference headquarters. He'd served, he'd gone to Asia, Singapore. He was stationed for for many years, looking over 17 different Asian nations. What he liked to do was write and report. This is Pastor Elder Don Roth. And for generations, he wrote articles and reported for his entire life. I never knew, however, until I walked into the hospital that day that Don Roth had something to say about the fall of Saigon in 1975. How come I never knew? It turns out if you look in the archives, you will see report after report after report filed by Elder Don Roth because he was our reporter on the ground watching as things disintegrated in Vietnam. He was our reporter with Saigon Adventist Hospital, a hospital we took over uh, uh, with an agreement with the U.S. government. He had report on the ground what was happening month by month. He told us stories of, of citizens losing their lives and their homes and their property and Adventist missionaries who didn't want to come home. They wanted to stay and help with the crisis. It was that day in the hospital, at Redlands Community Hospital, I stepped into the room and I hear about the fall of Saigon because a nurse is talking to her patient. It so happened that the nurse started asking the patient some questions and the patient began to talk to the nurse and they began to connect the dots and it was only later I would learn Don Roth personally assisted more than 60 people, 60 evacuees out of Saigon. because it was simply the next right thing to do. But the moment was when his nurse realized I was a little girl in Vietnam and you evacuated my family. (laughs) What? You were unusually kind to me. Look. How my life developed. Mm. That's enough for me. May a fresh spirit fall. May we commit ourselves to unusual kindness. When the Apostle Paul got off the boat with all the disciples, it turns out God was already on the land simply waiting for the disciples to arrive. Amen and amen. Amen.